Sporting men habitually wiped each other out with 45 caliber automatic Colt pistol slugs. The mayor of Chicago, William Thompson, owed his election to Al Capone and men who threw grenades at opposing polling stations. Another mayor, Anton Cermak, tried to clean up Chicago until an assassin, supposedly hired by Capone, shot him dead. The government had erred badly in legislating American morality, and Al Capone had moved in to fill the resulting demand, with murder on a scale that would have shaken even a psychopath like Dr. Holmes. In 1933, Adolf Hitler had just become Chancellor of Germany, and Benito Mussolini had risen to power in Italy. The hubris of holding a World's Fair during these times seemed to invite disaster. President Roosevelt had just told the country it had nothing to fear but fear itself. Then he passed the Banking Act of 1933, essentially closing banks to stop people from withdrawing their money. Charles Lindbergh's baby had been kidnapped and murdered just the year before. But Chicago saw the 1933 World's Fair as a way to rehabilitate its sagging reputation as a wild west town of gangsters and also a catalyst for economic recovery. If the city could pull off a century of progress, then maybe it could get rid of Al Capone and the awful darkness of the Great Depression. This was the thinking after the worst gangland shooting in American history, ironically named for a holiday of love. When people left the fair, they wondered why Chicago was so dingy compared to the shimmering metropolis on the lake. Coal burners that dropped soot down from on high still fired the city. The Union stockyards slaughtered over a million hogs a year, with the smell wafting into Chicago when the wind blew from the south. Steam locomotives still lumbered into the city and killed pedestrians. The trains had yet to be confined to Union Station, and the soot from their coal-burning engines contributed to the brown, dense fog that sometimes enveloped the city. Many buildings manufactured their own electricity in boiler-fired dynamos tucked away below ground. The Chicago River had been reversed, but in bad storms, it spewed sewage into Lake Michigan. A book published to promote the 1933 World's Fair gives a snapshot of the best statistics the organizers could offer up. 3.475 million people lived in Chicago, in some 400,000 dwellings, they drove 396,533 automobiles along 226 miles of park-like boulevards. They attended 1,800 churches and sent their children to 360 public schools. Only 11% of the population owned a car in 1933. Horses delivered milk, blacksmiths dotted city blocks, and carriages competed for space. Few people had flown in a plane. Yet the city had come a long way. From a dot on a map drawn by Antoine Charles-Louis Lasalle, it had become an Indian trail, a trading post, a U.S. government agency, and then a sprawling town of log cabins. When the Illinois and Michigan Canal opened in 1848, Chicago began to grow quickly. And three years later, the village of Chicago became the city of Chicago a reason for a World's Fair nearly a hundred years later was born. Even the Civil War would do little to slow Chicago's expansion. By 1870, 
the city was growing at a clip of 500,000 people per decade. It experienced a setback in October 1871 when Mrs. O'Leary's fabled cow kicked over a lantern. The Great Chicago Fire left the city built of wood, a smoking ruin, and 100,000 citizens without homes. The I will spirit burst forth, and Chicago roared back, surviving the financial panic of 1873 and labor troubles that culminated in the Haymarket Riot, then breaking into the modern era with the world's first skyscraper, the Home Insurance Building. In 1893, the Paris of the Prairies launched the World's Columbian Exposition, while the city's stockyards became meat supplier to the world. Dispatching one million creatures each year. Alderman John J. Coughlin would be the only elected official in power during both world fairs.